This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 83. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's episode, Lessons from the Front Lines. Alex Jones' lawyer in the Sandy Hook case reprimanded for deposition conduct. He should have listened to our episode 49. Hi there, everybody. I hope you're off to a great start this week, as always. As you know, our Lessons from the Front Lines episodes focus on a single brand new court ruling relating to deposition strategies and tactics. And that's what we have for you on the menu today. This episode focuses on a January 28, 2022 ruling about three weeks ago in the lawsuit filed by the victims of the Sandy Hook school shooting massacre in December 2012. The defendant in this lawsuit is Alex Jones and several of his companies, including InfoWars and Prison Planet with the claims in the case alleging, among other things, defamation, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and invasion of privacy, all for comments uh, that Jones allegedly made that the shooting either never took place or was exaggerated or was a government false flag operation. In the ruling at issue in this episode, the trial judge publicly reprimanded one of Mr. Jones' lawyer for questions that he posed to an unrepresented, non-party deponent. And those two elements are critical to what happened in this case. The witness, the deponent, was not a party to the case and did not have a lawyer at the time of the deposition. So that's what frames the disagreement here. And we've covered the conduct at issue in this case in a prior podcast, uh, which I'll talk about at the end of this episode. So as I walk through the conduct that led to this recent public reprimand, I want you to ask yourself, as we're talking about it, the following three questions. Have you ever said something like what this lawyer said before to an unrepresented deponent? Question number two. Is it possible that you'd have said something like this to an unrepresented deponent? Maybe just as a zealous advocate for your own client. Three. Or would you say to yourself, this is so obviously wrong that all litigators know not to do this, all right? So those are the three questions. Uh, The deponent here, the witness being deposed, was a former video and sound editor for Alex Jones and some of his companies. He worked for Mr. Jones for several years and was employed uh, with Alex Jones and his companies at the time of the Sandy Hook shootings in December 2012. So much of this witness's deposition examination centered on comments that the witness heard Mr. Jones make either privately in the workplace or on his shows about the Sandy Hook event. So the deposition was noticed by the victim's lawyer, uh, the plaintiff's counsel, as a remote video deposition deuces tecum for September 17, 2021. So the witness in one place, the lawyers in another. The notice directed the former editor to bring any documents responsive to the categories on the four-page attachment to the notice. Minutes into the deposition, the witness was asked by plaintiff's counsel if he brought anything with him pursuant to the uh, subpoenas duces tecum, and the witness says no. And that was that, until Mr. Jones' defense counsel began his cross-examination of the witness. Now remember, Mr. Jones' lawyer in this case, at least for this deposition, did not ask the witness to bring anything, didn't subpoena the witness, didn't issue a subpoena duces tecum, for the witness to show up uh, and produce anything to Mr. Jones' lawyer. The subpoena duces tecum was issued only by the plaintiff's lawyer. 
So Mr. Jones' lawyer asked the witness if he brought his phone with him. The witness says, yes, I have it. The witness says, but there are no documents specific to the issues in this case on my phone, but the witness at least acknowledged that he could access cloud storage accounts uh, through his cell phone. He further said uh, in response to questions from Mr. Jones' lawyer that he didn't search his cloud-based Gmail or Startmail accounts before the deposition simply because they wouldn't have had any documents uh, responsive to the subpoena or even relevant to the case. All right, we have the transcript uh, from the witness's deposition, so I'm gonna tell you what some of the questions were in the dialogue that followed. So Mr. Jones' lawyer asks the following questions, among others, uh, Jones' lawyer. Are you able to search your email through that phone? Witness, yes. Uh, after the witness said yes, the plaintiff's lawyer immediately objected, saying that Mr. Jones' lawyer hadn't served anything on the deponent, requesting that the deponent produce documents and that it was improper to ask the non-party unrepresented deponent in the middle of the deposition to search his phone then and there for documents. Uh, Jones' lawyer to the witness, would you, since you brought your phone to the deposition, kindly search your email for the phrase, quote, Sandy Hook, close quote. Witness, am I legally required to do that? Jones' lawyer, you're here and you're subpoenaed here and you brought your documents, your entire email account to the deposition. Now, footnote, uh, as I indicated, the witness squarely asked Mr. Jones' lawyer if he was legally required to search his email mid-deposition. As you can tell from the uh, lawyer's response, Mr. Jones' lawyer didn't squarely respond to that and instead made several factually accurate statements that the witness might have interpreted to mean, yes, you're legally required to do it. As Mr. Jones' lawyer said, it was actually true that the witness was there, period. It was factually true that the witness was subpoenaed, albeit by the other lawyer, not by Mr. Jones' counsel. And it was factually true that the witness, in a way, brought his entire email account to the deposition. But that response from Mr. Jones' lawyer drew another objection from plaintiff's counsel who said, quote, first of all, that is highly improper for you to answer the question in that way you know this witness is under no legal obligation to search his phone at your request. You know that. Mr. Jones' lawyer responds, uh, no, I don't know that. Do you have a case to cite? Plaintiff's counsel replies back, quote, the ethical response to that question, meaning the witness's question, if you're going to answer it at all, is to instruct him accurately that he is not legally required to search his phone at your request. So after some further back and forth between the two lawyers in the transcript, Mr. Jones' lawyer turns back to the witness. Question, are you refusing my request? He says to the witness. Answer, I don't have it. I don't have my own independent legal counsel here to advise me. Question, did you have an opportunity to bring a lawyer? Answer, I have no money for a lawyer, so no. Question, did you ask any lawyer to come with you? Witness, I wasn't advised either way. Question, did anybody tell you you couldn't bring a lawyer? Answer, nobody told me one way or the other. Question, would you like an opportunity to consult with a lawyer? Answer, if that's my option, yes. Jones' lawyer. All right, how much time do you need today to consult with a lawyer as to whether or not you have an obligation to search your phone which you brought with you today? Again, some more back and forth between the lawyers and a phone conference with the trial judge was held apparently at plaintiff's counsel's request and with defense counsel's uh, support and agreement about this particular issue. 
After the mid-deposition court hearing with the trial judge, which is not captured in the deposition transcript itself, uh, the deposition resumed. Uh, and the dispute over what the witness could or had to do also immediately resumed. Based on comments in the transcript, uh, my, I surmise that the judge apparently told the lawyers either that it was inappropriate to ask a witness to do that during a deposition, according to plaintiff's counsel, or that she simply wasn't going to force the witness to do so, according to defense counsel. Mr. Jones' lawyer then turns to the witness and says as follows, question, Judge Bellis has said that certainly we can engage in motion practice, whether or not you sufficiently searched for responsive documents prior to the deposition, and that she is not going to force you here to search your phone. But she also did not say you could not do so if you desired. Are you willing to do so? More argument between the lawyers immediately followed about even what the judge had just ruled. Mr. Jones' lawyer saying he wasn't mischaracterizing anything that the judge ruled. He says, in effect, she left open the possibility that the witness would do so voluntarily. So I'm asking to see if he would do so voluntarily. If he says no, that's it. If he says yes, great. Uh, last question on this point that I will cover here from Mr. Jones' lawyer to the witness. Question. The question is, are you willing to search? If the answer is no, okay. If the answer is yes, okay. Witness, no. Now, that's obviously not every word spoken on this issue in the transcript, but I think for purposes of today's episode, I've given you a pretty accurate sense for the questions posed to the unrepresented non-party witness and the dialogue between the lawyers. So that deposition was September 17, 2021, and things spiraled downward pretty quickly after that. Three weeks later, on October 7, the trial judge, remember the one that was called mid-deposition, issues an order to show cause to Mr. Jones' lawyer, saying that the attorney, quote, is ordered to show cause at a hearing set for October 20 as to whether he should be referred to disciplinary authorities or sanctioned by the court directly, and the judge is citing to a Connecticut practice book, regarding his questioning of the witness at the September 17, 2021 deposition. Again, this is the dispute regarding what the lawyer said, or the propriety of what the lawyer said uh, to the witness about the cell phone. At the October 20, 2021 hearing, and I've got the transcript of that hearing as well, we've been through that, uh, the trial judge shared her view that it was not appropriate and not normal deposition procedure to have a witness search a phone for documents in the middle of the deposition. She called it highly inappropriate and again said it is not normal. So the judge apparently reviewed the plaintiff's deposition subpoena and also concluded that that subpoena itself, even though issued by the plaintiff's lawyer, even then did not require the deponent to produce his phone at the deposition. So the judge says uh, in this October 20 hearing, quote, it is painfully clear to the court now, having reviewed the deposition transcript and subpoena, that the witness objected to searching his phone, that he wanted time to talk to a lawyer, that he wanted the court ruling. And it is also painfully clear that under the law, the witness was under no legal obligation to search his phone, end quote. Uh, the judge also noted in the hearing that Mr. Jones' lawyer, after the mid-deposition conference status call with the judge, immediately went back on the record and asked the witness again if he was willing to search his phone. Judge repeats uh, that she felt that was inappropriate and not normal 
to have a witness in the middle of a deposition fumble through the phone and search for records. Then the judge in the, uh, in the October 20 hearing cites several possible violations of professional conduct rules, uh, including what she said was, one, disregarding the court's directive, two, misleading the witness to believe that he had a legal obligation to search his phone, emails, or the cloud when no such legal obligation existed, three, by engaging in conduct intended to disrupt the deposition by harassing, barraging, or pressuring the witness. Four, by making a false statement of material fact to the witness with regard to whether the witness had a legal obligation to search his phone. Five, with respect to the failure to inform the witness of the entirety of the court's order. Six, by giving legal advice to an unrepresented person by virtue of Mr. Jones' response to the witness's question whether the witness was legally required to search his phone. And seven, by engaging in conduct involving dishonesty, fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation by virtue of the lawyer's response to the witness's questions as to whether the witness was legally required to search his phone in the middle of the deposition. And that was just the beginning. In December, the state's Office of Chief Disciplinary Counsel, whose website says it was created by the judges of the Superior Courts in Connecticut to pursue grievance complaints, filed a memorandum with the court and recommended a reprimand against Mr. Jones' lawyer based on his conduct in the deposition. In its filing, the uh, Chief Disciplinary Counsel's Office asserted ethical rules forbid improperly influencing witnesses or the use of obstructive tactics in discovery. And it cited rule commentary that says misrepresentations can also occur by partially true but misleading statements or omissions that are the equivalent of affirmative false statements. It referred to Mr. Jones' lawyer's conduct as oppressive questioning of the witness and as an attempt to improperly secure evidence from the phone. Uh, the chief counsel's office described it as conduct of intimidation and suggested that Mr. Jones' lawyer, quote, increased the pressure on deponent once a call was placed to the court as if to obtain a result before the court had the opportunity to intervene, uh, close quote. It also described as an aggravating factor the, what, what the chief counsel's office described as the vulnerability of the victim. Uh, the chief counsel said the victim in this case was an unrepresented non-party deponent in a deposition. Long story short, how does this story end? Exactly as you might expect with an order from the trial judge reprimanding Mr. Jones' counsel. That 21-page order issued January 28 ends with the following paragraph, and I quote, The respondent's intentional conduct during his cross-examination of the deponent prior to the status conference exceeded the bounds of acceptable attorney behavior and was solely attributable to the respondent. This conduct violated the respondent's professional obligations under Rules 3.54 and 4.1, harmed the integrity of the process, and, left unchecked, would have a chilling effect on future depositions or trial testimony. Attorneys cannot intimidate or bully witnesses, even hostile witnesses, in any case, let alone in a hotly contested and contentious case such as this, regardless of whether or not a witness shows any outward response to the improper tactics. While there is room for persistent, competitive, and even aggressive lawyering in our courts, 
There is simply no room for conduct where witnesses are mistreated and which violate our rules of professional conduct. The court hereby issues a reprimand, close quote. All right, so what to make of this? Well, I think things started to go off the rails in the deposition when the witness squarely asked Mr. Jones' lawyer whether he was legally obligated to search his phone on the spot. The court says very clearly he should not have danced around or waffled in his response to that question. The court also criticized the lawyer for even asking the deponent to search his phone, describing it as highly inappropriate. Now, I covered this exact topic in episode 49. The episode was literally titled, A Listener Asks, What If the Examining Lawyer Asks the Witness to Pull Out Her Cell Phone and Disclose Text, Phone Numbers, or Messages? And I addressed that exact question in that episode. So let me close here today with the same three questions I opened with and a few more. Question number one, have you ever said anything like that to an unrepresented non-party deponent? Is it possible, question number two, that you might say something like this to an unrepresented witness simply as a zealous advocate for your own client without intending to be fraudulent, deceptive, uh, or oppressive? Question number three, or did you say to yourself, this is so obviously wrong that all litigators know not to do this? Now, here's another point to ponder. And remember, before I throw this out to you, the trial judge here criticized the lawyer for even asking the witness to search for documents, setting aside entirely the question as to whether it would have been reasonable if the witness had been willing to do so. In light of this ruling now, would you even try something like this with an unrepresented non-party deponent? Would you be willing to ask the deponent something like this? Ms. Deponent, I know you don't have a lawyer, and I want to tell you, you have no obligation whatsoever to do this, but would you mind searching your cell phone email account just to see if you have any documents relating to XYZ? Do you think it's reasonable to at least ask a deponent, whether represented or not, if they're willing to retrieve information from their cell phone? Some litigators I talked to about this case thought it ought to be okay to at least do that. One litigator said, look, it's not the 1920s. It's not like you're asking a deponent to go back to their house on a lunch break and search through dozens of banker's boxes in a storage shed. If a witness, this litigator said, if a witness has email on their cell phone, it would take all of about 30 seconds to keyword search their Gmail account. And if the witness is willing, what's wrong with that? That's the question that was posed back to me. So some of the litigators I ran this case uh, by said that what's reasonable to ask of a deponent in light of technological advances and with regard to information retrieval mid-deposition has to be evaluated in light of whether or not the witness is willing to cooperate and the ease and speed with which that deponent can retrieve information. So the litigator said, well, Jim, in the absence of any objections from anyone, what's really unreasonable here? Is it unreasonable to require a deponent to take a short break and quickly search uh, their cell phone email accounts? Or is it unreasonable instead to require lawyers, if the witness is willing, to wait until the deposition is over and then make a formal request for production for the same information that a willing witness would have provided in the deposition. 
I suspect that some of you have on occasion asked deponents, whether represented or not, to check their phone uh, for a phone number or a text or an email and probably have done so, I'm betting, you've probably done so on occasions both where you got objections and then had to serve a request for production or got no objections and got the information immediately. Now, setting all that aside, how might Mr. Jones' lawyer have avoided this mess? The answer is pretty obvious. Cross notice the deposition and serve your own deposition duces tecum. Include a demand in the subpoena uh, for the non-party unrepresented opponent to either bring the documents with them or bring their cell phone for inspection. As you surely know, Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 45A1C uh, specifically authorizes a subpoena that commands the production of documents, electronically stored information, or tangible things for inspection. That certainly includes a cell phone. Now, it's really unwieldy, of course, to ask a non-party witness to bring their cell phone so that you can drill down into it uh, in the middle of the deposition. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you can do that. But you can also serve your own subpoena. Don't rely on what the other side did. Serve your own subpoena on the witness and compel them to bring whatever it is that you think you want. So there's a clear remedy for that. Whether you agree with the court here or not that Mr. Jones' lawyer was engaging in oppressive conduct, it's clearly not okay to waffle with an unrepresented witness about what they're legally required to do in the middle of the deposition. And if it's a critical matter, again, notice or cross-notice the deposition on your own and issue your own subpoena. That's the way to do it. And always be very careful with unrepresented non-party witnesses. They frequently don't know their rights. So you've got to tread very lightly in your dealings with them. It's not as if unrepresented parties have no one to speak on their behalf. They do. The guardian of the unrepresented is your judge. All right. Interesting case, huh? Uh, that's it for today's podcast. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at depositionpodcast at jimgeardylaw.com. Have a great week.